Come on. Hey. Come on, put your hands together this morning. How many are thankful for the freedom that we have in Jesus? Amen. Oh, yeah.
could not hold you. So thankful, Jesus.
Come on, right now, with hands lifted in this place, just magnify the King of all kings. Lord, we worship you, we worship you. You are holy, you are holy. You are holy. Who is this King of glory? Oh, Lord, I worship you, I worship Can we just love upon Jesus this morning? Oh Lord, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Oh Lord, you're more than life to me, Jesus. You're more than life to me, oh God. night in my chair we were listening to all the fireworks going off <laughs> sounded like a sounded like freedom in my neighborhood but uh, our little daughter Eden she'll be two here in a couple weeks and um, she's somewhat lovey-dovey but like just you want to you know as a parent or a grandparent you want your kids just to come and just love up on you and hold you and you know she kind of does that and she's just all over the place just yeah I'll give you a kiss and hug and then I'm just running around well last night the fireworks they kind of scare her you know and so she was just sitting in my chair and just was holding on to me and just tucked her head into my shoulder and oh as a parent you're like yes <laughs> love this you can stay like this all day long oh just so sweet and so anyway I just started singing that God is so good just to her and we were singing, and then she just started singing with me. God is so good. Couldn't understand a word, but she was worshiping. And it was, oh, just melted my heart. God is so good. He's so good to me. How many remember that song? Can we sing that together? God is so good. God is so good. 
would stop and she would look at me and then she would take her hands and put them on my mouth and make it open up and she's like more more and so then I would just sing he answers prayer do you believe that this morning amen that we serve a God that he answers prayer time can you sing God is so good what God wants us to do this morning is just love up on him. Snuggle up into his chest. Amen. I'm so thankful that we serve a God that loves and cares for us. God, I just thank you for our church. I thank you. Thankful for what you're doing. Pray right now, Lord, as we open our ears to hear and open our minds to understand and open our hearts, God, that we would receive your word today. We love you. In your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Give somebody an air high five today. It's great to have everybody here. Amen.
in spite of political correctness, which governs so much of my life, <laughs> I'm going to make a couple of comments here. And frankly, if you don't like it, I wouldn't normally say this, but I don't care. <laughs> I just want to set the table a bit. Uh, last night, uh, for the first time in I don't know how many years, we weren't at a live fireworks show, not because I was afraid to, just everybody's doing other things. And so I don't know if they do this every year or not, but the Macy's 4th of July celebration, I don't know if that's an annual thing or not. And I didn't watch all of it because some of those music stars I'm not at all interested in. Um, but listen to the end. I'm going to tell you my emotional reaction when the fireworks and songs, the last 20 minutes was over. Everybody doesn't hate America. Some of us are still proud to live here. And we still have a reason to celebrate. And I don't believe it's anti-Christian to be pro-America. And there's a generation rising up right now was challenged in an online debate this week that you put America first and God second. And to that, my response is, now I can't use that one. That's baloney. Because nations who don't, Christians who don't support their country and stand for righteousness in their country will witness the blood of the martyrs staining their soil. And I'm going to stand as an advocate for the United States of America as a blood-washed, Bible-believing Christian and let my voice be heard until Jesus comes. I watched that and something in me rose up and I've lived in this mindset that everyone in America hates America that everyone wants to see the downfall of America, that everyone hates the military, everyone hates law enforcement. And I'm telling you, I was refreshed by a secular presentation that says it's still okay to say, I believe in Jesus and I'm proud to be an American. Man, I feel like preaching. But we'll go on from there. Just needed to say that, get that off my chest, um, because I'm pretty well fed up with the lies we're being fed in the media. The news media is not about the news, hasn't been for decades. It's about indoctrination into an anti-America, socialistic, anarchist way of thinking that is motivated by a spirit of godlessness and lawlessness that will open the door for the Antichrist. I'm trying to stop and you're not helping me. So, put that in your hat and wear it. Thankful that you're here this morning. Glad to see you this morning. I'm glad to be in church on 4th of July weekend. Good to see you all. Glad you're here. I do want to make one comment, make it clear. We were going to launch at second service filling station. We didn't.
because during the week, Matthew Clapp came down with a sinus infection, and I didn't think it would be right to have the person taking temperatures of children blowing their nose. So we want him to be, um, we want him to be symptom-free for 48 hours. And just so you know where our, our mindset is, I didn't ask permission, but you have a right to know. I did encourage him to be tested for the coronavirus, and the test came back negative, and we're thankful for that. He just has an old-fashioned sinus infection. What a day that you can say, I'm so glad I got a sinus infection. <laughs> what a day we live in. Unprecedented times. Um, I... <laughs> I had a dream like one of Nathan's dreams. I may share that another time, but <laughs> it didn't involve a cat in the shower, but it, but, it, but it did involve trying to get rid of snow with an iron, uh, uh, a clothing iron. So sometimes you feel that way, like you're doing everything you can to overcome, and it's just too big. It's just too big. But I serve a God who's bigger. He's big enough. He's big enough. I, this song just came up. Bigger than all my problems. Bigger than all my fears. He's bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see. I don't know. I'm just making it up now. But um, he's bigger. He's bigger. I'm wandering. My wife's going to come up here and tell me to get on track here. But I just felt like I needed to say a few things this morning. That Jesus is still Lord. This is still a great nation. Let's hold our ground. Does it need help? Yes. Are there some things broken? Absolutely. But this is not the time for the church to back up and quit. It's time for the church to be in the forefront and lead the charge. And the answer that we need in America today is not political posturing. It's a revival of the presence of God. And two of the songs in last night's presentation were not ashamed to mention God. And I still am glad that we can celebrate in a secular environment and sing, God bless America. That's what we need. So when the wheels fall off the bus, as they did in Ezra chapter 4, do you like that segue? When the wheels fall off the bus, as they are in America today, and as they did in Ezra chapter 4, we need to get back on track. And Ezra chapter 5 shows us how to get back on track. It's a wonderful chapter that will help us and I believe will be a call to the church this morning. Ezra records for us a wonderful start of rising from the rubble and restoring a heart of worship. And in the restoration of worship, they go along so well for a short period of time until the wheels fall off the bus and the military says you can't continue to build the temple and they pull back at the end of chapter 4. Now we're in chapter 5, and they get back on track. And I think there are three things that speak to my heart in this chapter that are essential if the church is going to get back on track in this generation that was essential for Israel to get back on track in restoring worship. And the first of those is we desperately need today a clear voice of God. We need the voice of God. In Ezra chapter 5, in the first verse, the prophets begin to speak. They've been silent for 16 years. From the end of chapter 4 to the beginning of chapter 5 are 16 years of inactivity as far as worship is concerned. 
Haggai and Zechariah begin to bring the word of the Lord and nothing will really change in the church or in the world system until we hear the voice of God. And I'm going to tell you what my heart cry is today. We need a return of the prophetic voice back in God's church and back in God's pulpit. I am tired today of life lessons and TED Talks and book reports that are going to make us all feel better and get along better, as important as those things may be. But what we need today is what we had in the revival of the um, early part of our nation. Revivals that have swept the country haven't been driven by feel-good messages that tell you you're okay and going to get better. They've been driven by the prophetic voice of God through his prophets. And when God wants to do something new, the voice of the prophets will rise. Now, today there's a voice of prophets that's rising, but it's not necessarily from God. So you also need a spirit of discernment. One commentator made this um, observation from chapter 5. The two prophets who now proclaim their message in Jerusalem appeared at a time of deep depression. They were not born on the crest of a wave or a religious revival. What we too often expect is that there will be a wave of revival that then will launch the prophets. That's backwards. We need a rise to the prophetic voice that will call the church to rise in worship. And so if you're expecting that if we worshiped, we'd get the voice of the prophet back, no. We need the voice of the prophet back in the church today so that worship will follow and rise. And Haggai and Zechariah don't step up on the scene to take a big offering because now there's a tide that's turned and people want to hear them. They speak at a time of spiritual declension. And when the voice of the prophets is still, the vitality of the people of God will always be low. What were they saying? Well, read the first chapter of Haggai, and here's what you'll find in chapter 1. The people were saying, according to Haggai and the voice of God, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Pause. That's what he challenges them on. How did chapter 4 end? We can't build. They've stopped us from building. But enough time has gone by that the troops are gone, the pressure's over, and they don't want to build. They say the time hasn't come. It's not that we can't. It's that the time hasn't come. That's not an attitude that's acceptable in the kingdom of God. It's one thing to pull back to fight another day. It's another thing to pull back from the fight long enough that you become content and you don't want to enter back into the battle again. How many are hearing me this morning? Haggai says to them that God says... Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. It's time to build. Now, I'm going to make a couple comments here about what's happening in our culture and just uh, that I think parallel directly with Ezra chapter 5. I'm engaged in a number of online forums, and one of those is responding to the law, apparently the rule of the governor in California, that you can no longer sing in church. Now, let me just say to you that 
There are battles to be fought in different ways. And in California, you can meet outside and worship and still sing. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm not telling them what to do. I'm saying you need to evaluate the battleground. And rather than sit back and say, it's not time and I can't, sometimes it's not about the fight. It's about God finding another way for us to do what he's called us to do. And so here in our land, here in the Midwest, here in this time of of freedom that's being challenged in the eyes of some, I'm saying to you that our heart needs to be whatever happens, we need to arise and build. We need to arise and build. Let me tell you one place where you need to build. And again, you may not like this message this morning, but it's all right. I'll be back next week. I've got to know a police officer from the Des Moines PD. It's time to rise and build and say to the police of our state, we don't hate you. Every police officer isn't evil. They're not all crushing the necks of criminals. Some of them are there for the right reason. And the question I was asked is, I know everybody doesn't hate us, but where is the voice of those that support us? It's time to rise and build. Are you hearing me? We don't have to affirm the wrong that's being done. That needs to be dealt with forcefully. But it's time for the church to say, we're going to make a difference in our country. Well, the time's not yet. It's not. Yes, it is. And I believe there's a voice from God saying, rise from the rubble and let's rise and build and call people back to righteousness godliness, a respect for law, a respect for God, and a heart that will pursue him. That's what our nation needs. Zechariah approached them in a different way. He says in chapter 1, the Lord was very angry with your forefathers, therefore tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says, return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you. Have you ever heard that before? Draw nigh to God, I'll draw nigh to you. Do not be like your forefathers to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Turn from your evil ways and your evil practices, but they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Where are your forefathers now? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my decrees, which I've commanded my servants and prophets, overtake your forefathers? Then they repented and said, the Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve just as he determined to do. He's saying to them, your hearts need to change. You need to quit blaming others for the condition of your nation. You need to start looking at your own hearts. You need to start looking at your own hearts. Compromise, materialism, worldliness, acceptance, praise of men has marked the church for generations we're losing that and so now it's time to search our own hearts and say why are we seeking him will we turn from our wicked ways and turn from god so the voice of the prophets haggai said get back to work and zachariah said get your heart right it's a double-barreled message that they needed that the church needs today Get back to work and get your heart right. It's the voice of the prophets. The prophets had been silent for 12 long years. Does that mean that God was okay with it? I don't think so. 
You know that sometimes God will let you live with the consequences of your choices? And in long-suffering, give a space to see if you will respond in righteousness. And the voice of the prophet comes when the long-suffering of God is wearing out. Also, the long-suffering of God may wait for timing to be right because Artaxerxes is now gone. Darius is on the throne. But Darius has been on the throne for two years and nothing's happened. Waiting for a sign. It's Darius. Now it's time. And they're still sitting still and unresponsive. Almost 300 years before Amos... I mean, earlier Amos had this to say. The days are coming, 300 years before this. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of God. Men will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it in that day. The young men... And uh, the young women and strong young men will faint because of thirst. He prophesied to them 300 years before that a day would come that there would not be a voice of God in the land. But Joel gives a promise at the same time as Amos. 300 years before, Amos says there's a day coming. and, And you see that in Old Testament history at the end of Malachi for 400 years when God's voice isn't heard and spiritual life wanes. Following or subsequent to the prophecy of Amos comes this prophecy from Joel. And afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heaven and on the earth, blood, fire, billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of that great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 400 years of silence follows Malachi. And this is what the book of Acts tells us. This, Acts chapter 2, is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he quotes what Joel says, saying this was fulfilled in your ears. What I'm trying to say to you is 12 years of silence was changed by the voice of the prophetic. The church needs the voice of the prophetic. And we're living in an era that we can't afford to do what they did in Ezra. We can't afford to do what they did after Malachi and step back and simply rest on our laurels and be content with church as usual. We need the voice of God among us. I read an article this week that said your church can't afford to be mediocre. <laughs> but well, that's interesting. Said don't have worship leaders who can't sing or play. <laughs> I think I think Nathan can sing and play, don't you? <laughs> don't have a preacher who stumbles over his words and gets off track. Well, that happens here from time to time. As I read all the things that make a church mediocre, I thought, it just left me feeling empty. I believe in excellence. I believe in doing things with excellence. But it's not excellence that the church needs. It needs the touch of the holy. It needs the presence of the almighty. I've watched in mediocre or less than mediocre services 
when the Spirit of God moves in, and I'm telling you today, even the evangelical church doesn't know what to call it. They call it it. They call it momentum. They call it excitement. They call it engagement. Call it whatever you want. But I happen to know what it is. In the last days, says God, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. We need the voice of God back in the house of God. If you're going to get back on track, there needs to be a hunger and a longing for what does God have to say. Now, what I like most about this is in verse 2. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jozadak, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. Now, there's something implied in that Hebrew text you don't quite get from the English. Do you know what it meant? It didn't mean they were at the back saying, good job. Do you know what it meant? It meant they start carrying timbers. <laughs> they start carrying stones. They joined the workforce. It's one thing to preach it. It's another thing to do it. It's one thing to put your mouth on the line. It's another thing to put your money on the line. It's one thing to celebrate what the church is doing. It's another thing to join in in what it's doing. And I don't, I don't, I, I think the church is done with leaders that sit back in a distance and have their entourage around them and no one can touch them. If I'm going to preach tithing, I need to tithe. If I'm going to preach missions, I need to give and go. If I'm going to preach evangelism, I need to share my faith. It's time for leaders, all of us, to not point the way, but to work together along the way. We need to all engage in that process. And the prophet said, this is what we need to do. Now let us help you get it done. Good stuff, Maynard. The voice of God. The other thing that we need is the favor of God. We need the favor of God. Opposition returns. Are you surprised? As soon as they begin doing the work of God again, opposition rises up. Kind of right back where we were in chapter 4. Quitting the work doesn't make problems go away. <laughs> I have changed churches. We've pastored, we've pastored three churches, served in four. I didn't leave those running from a problem because this is what I've discovered if you leave somewhere running from a problem, it'll be there when you get there. Because you go where you go. You show up where you move to. And so if you're trying to outrun something, it's not going to happen by you changing location. You have to deal with what's happening in your life. And stepping back from the work doesn't mean the problems will go away. I'm, I'm going to just give you an illustration this way. I talked to a pastor recently whose church is in a struggle, and he said, Pastor, I think he told me three churches that have struggled, and he said, if this one doesn't work out, I'm going to quit the ministry. Well, you can quit, but the problems will stay. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The problems will stay. You've got to find a way through them. 
people quit church. Well, I'm not coming anymore. I'm giving up on God. I'm giving up on the... Your problems won't go away by walking away from God. How many are hearing me? They don't go away that way. And so they return to the work, and what happens? They pick up right where they left off. Opposition will always be there. But here's what's different this time. If you look at the scripture, it says that the eye of God was on them. Verse 5, but the eye of their God was watching over the elders of the Jews, and they were not stopped. The eye of God speaks of the favor of God. It speaks of his blessing and his care. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 10, we found him in a desert land in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about, he instructed him, he kept him as the apple of his eye. Psalm 17, verse 8, keep me Jesus, I'm sorry, that's the way we sang it. I can't read it without the way we used to sing it. Keep me as the apple of the eye, hide me under the shadow of your wings. And Zechariah 2, for thus says the Lord of hosts, after the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you, for he that touches you touches the apple of my eye. It's the favor of God. They've been in a place where they've not experienced the favor of God because they've withdrawn from the work. And the voice of God through the prophet says, return to the work. And when the leaders return to the work, you know what God did? He said, I've got my eye on you. Now, what does that mean when a young man says to a young lady, I have my eye on you? Probably means he's a creeper. But other than that, it may mean he likes her. Hello? It might mean that. The whole idea being that when you are in the place where his eye is on you, you're in the place where you have his favor. And they were not stopped. Why were they not stopped? Because Artaxerxes is gone. Darius is on the throne. They still don't have permission to build, but they have God's voice. And when the work resumes, they have God's favor. You know what it's like to lack the favor of God? How that feels? David did a terrible thing with Bathsheba. And Bathsheba did a terrible thing with David. And God didn't bless their offspring in that moment. But in Psalm 53, you find a broken and repentant David calling out on God. And after he repents, here's what he says. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. I don't know how you feel today, but dawned on me last night. I've let the world steal some joy from me. I've let it steal from me some of the things that I've enjoyed and appreciated and celebrate. And as I was watching some of the fireworks and listening to some of them in our neighborhood and smelling the sulfur everywhere outside, I thought, God, restore to me the joy of your salvation in a dark world. It's the favor of God that needs to be restored to us. Let us walk in his favor. How many are hearing me this morning? We have the voice of God that will bring the favor of God and then when we have the favor of God what else do we need we need the wisdom of God 
If we ever needed anything today, we need the wisdom of God more than what we can do in our own strength. And so what happens is there's this exchange. There's a letter of opposition. Now, I'm not going to read it all to you, but when you read the letter of opposition, this is the copy of the letter that Tatnai, governor of the Trans-Euphrates, um, sends to Darius. And when you read that, it's not really inflammatory. It's a reporting of what's going on. Darius, are you aware that they're building the temple and they're building it with timbers and boulders? What is he suggesting? This looks like a bigger deal than a temple. It looks like a fortress. And I want you to be aware of what's going on. What was the response of Israel? Likewise, not inflammatory, a reporting of the facts. Now, please hear me this morning. The church assumes everything against them is persecution. And then we react in an inflammatory way and wonder why we're not heard. Come on, help me now. We need the wisdom of God that not everything is an attack. Not, do you ever around someone that you could offer them an ice cream cone and they'd find some way to turn that into an insult? Some people are just waiting for their feelings to be hurt. And the church lives that way. It's like we have a chip on our shoulder. Anything said, no, you can't tell me that, you can't. And when you mix a church that is independent with a culture called America that's independent, we're ready for a fight half the time. And if you're from the east side, you're ready for a fight all the time. <laughs> Are you all right with that? I mean, east side, pecan pie, it's all part of what, what I know. Point being this. Sometimes <laughs> you'll win a battle if you just calm down. Let the peace of God, nobody's going to tell me, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let the peace of God. Now look at what they say. It's phenomenal how they respond. I, I'm not going to read it all, but I'll read some of it. We are servants of, of the God of heaven and earth. Now look at verse 12. But because our ancestors angered the God of heaven. What is that? That's honesty. We failed. And because we failed, we went into bondage for 70 years. And then God raised up Cyrus to send us back to do the work. We went into bondage because of our own failures. And now we're back doing the work at the, at the bequest of the king, King Cyrus. Would you just check the records? Can I call us to a calmness? and balance in responding to what's happening in our world. I got a, um, oh, what would I call it? A heads up from the city attorney. There's a publication, a rag that I will not even honor by telling you its name, that's done a review of the sheepdog seminar that was here and paints us as this rabid, foaming-at-the-mouth militia church. Now, I don't think it's going to have any impact because nobody reads it. But the reality is, we have to demonstrate that we're not standing at the door 
with guns ready to shoot the enemy. At the same time, I think it's fair to say, if you come in here with a gun, we're prepared to stop you. But you can do that in a rational way. How many are hearing me? It's time for the church to be firm and rational and walking in the wisdom of God. Nobody listens because we're always screaming about being taken advantage of. Let's look at being advantage to the community. Let's be honest about our mistakes. And then let's say we have a king who's given us an order in a land that still sings God bless America. And we're going to do what he's called us to do while we're in service to the communities that we live in. It's not defensive or assertive. They appeal to the truth. And then what do they do? They keep working and wait. You know what the Bible says? When you've done everything you can to stand, stand. I am concerned. I'm really, really concerned about Christians in America today that are saying they're prepping us. They're getting us ready. And so if we take this step, then there'll be another step. Then there'll be another. It's that whole slippery slope argument and another step. Now listen, I'm, I, I can tell where a line is that I'm not going any further. And no one is telling me I can't preach Jesus. No one is telling me I can't worship Jesus Christ. The pressure is coming and we're reacting in a way that will cause us to lose our credibility with the communities we're trying to reach. How many are hearing what I'm saying? So in all that, when they made the rational appeal, they appealed to King uh, Darius, referring back to King Cyrus, and they waited. What are we doing right now? We're waiting. <laughs> it won't always be like this. Oh, listen, I've been told you're compromising. We shouldn't cave to any of that. I'm not listening to that. I want to be seen as a rational voice in a world of chaos. And a day will come that they will say, where does your peace come from? Where does that wisdom come from? Where does that balance come? How can Berean Assembly of God Church navigate through these waters? And we'll be able to say it's because I found peace like a river. I've found joy like a fountain. I've been given a gift from Jesus and until he comes and we wait for his return, we're going to put the wheels back on the bus and we're going to keep doing the work of the king. Is there anyone with me this morning? So I'm going to... I'm going to wave my flag and I'm going to loft my Bible and I'm going to continue to proclaim that Jesus is Lord as we call a nation to rise from the rubble. Let's rise from the rubble and truly once again say, God bless America. So for you this morning, what is it that you need? Maybe you're in a place of confusion and you need a clear word from the prophets. I need a word from God. And see, you don't have to, you don't have to wait for a prophet to come because we're told to corporately covet to prophesy 
and his spirit will bring a spirit of prophecy on your life. Do you need to hear the voice of God? Maybe you need the favor of God. You've been living under this dark cloud and you need the favor of God to be released over your life. Or maybe you need the wisdom of God. You've been acting and behaving in a way that's less than wise. And God is saying, if you'll stop and listen, I'll tell you the way to go. With heads up and eyes open and everyone looking around. If you need God in one of those three areas, you need to hear his voice, you need to feel his favor, you need to receive his wisdom. Would you just stand wherever you are right now and say, God, that's what I need. I need that from you today. I'm asking for that today. On this Liberation Independence Sunday, I'm asking for that. And I believe that God is going to hear us. You're standing up and saying, God, speak to me. I'm ready to hear. I'm going to ask everyone in the house to stand now, in the chapel to stand, and let's worship God together and give him praise. So I'll stay with arms high and heart open. recognize this morning that in so many ways in the church in America and in the culture of America the wheels have fallen off the bus help us be the church that gets back on track help us be part of your body getting back on track God we're asking this morning that we would hear your voice more clearly than we have ever heard it before that we would experience your favor in ever increasing ways and that we would walk in wisdom that honors you and blesses those around us. Help us be the people of God in Jesus' name. And everyone in agreement said? Amen. 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 God bless you. Glad you're here this morning. If you love Jesus, let me hear your hands. Amen.